We're going to now turn to the New Testament, and Christine's going to read to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. The reading comes from Matthew, chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Father, we thank you for this reading from your word. Amen. Thank you, Christine. So we're going to turn now to the passage Christine read to us, Matthew chapter 9. And verses 1 to 13 following. Well, there was a preacher who told his congregation, next Sunday uh, we're going to be reading or thinking about the sin of lying. Now, of course, none of you lie here this morning, do you? Of course not. And uh, to prepare yourselves, I want you to read the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And so the following Sunday arrived and he asked, how many of you read the 17th chapter of Mark's Gospel in the New Testament? And they all said, yes, put their hands up. And Goody replied, there are only 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark. Now I want to talk to you about the sin of lying. And... uh, As you think about your life and other people's lives close to you, have there been moments of regret? It always strikes me when you see people in the media, celebrities and people like that, and and, uh, they will say, well, I have no regrets. Well, I don't know if it's just me um, and I'm overly sensitive, but um, I have regrets. Oh, I have regrets. We could be here a long time if you want to listen to them. And have you regretted something that you have said to someone? Not just recently, maybe in the way back past. Do you regret not doing something like hugging 
or affirming your affection for someone who's no longer here. Regret not responding to a masked call for help in someone in distress. Forgiveness is our theme this morning, and it's a a most wonderful, it's the overarching theme of the Bible, because God knows that you and I, the world, is in desperate need of forgiveness. And, And John's already talked to us about that, about the need to forgive one another, um, I've, I'm one of six children, as you know. I'm fourth in line to the throne. I had to share a bedroom with my older brother as I grew up. He was a pain in the backside. He would steal my money, my toys. I had to learn forgiveness at a very early age. He's very precious to me, by the way, in spite of that. And the people of Israel in the Bible were wandering for 40 years. They had to discover forgiveness for themselves. We read about the minor prophet Hosea, a beautiful book where Hosea's wife goes off. And it's a simile of how God's people have adulterated themselves away from God. And God's hurt and feelings of betrayal because his people preferred a harlot rather than him. Or the Apostle Peter, who denies Jesus three times. And then we learn in the risen Christ says to him in John 21, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. In one way or another, forgiveness is the most powerful means of restoring balance and peace in our world. John referred to South Africa and uh, the powerful and uh, really deeply moving Truth and Reconciliation Commission that um, Desmond Tutu, the Archbishop of Cape Town, brought about. I was reading a story about a young woman who's now 29 years of age, Candice Mama. You can read about this story on the BBC website. And she was uh, less than a year old when her father was murdered by the police. And uh, Glenock was his name. And she, she tells the story about where her mother and her aunts wouldn't tell the daughter, Candice, how her father died. But of course, it came to light that the um, forces, the police forces, Eugene de Nock, um, had murdered his father. They'd set up a roadblock um, where they knew he was part of the Pan-African uh, Alliance Conference, which worked with the ANC. And Glenock was a young man at the time seeking to bring liberation and equality in that nation. And uh, bullets rained down on that car and the cars in that which contained these people and her father. But there were still signs of life and so they lit up the car and it blew up. And there were photographs in this book that Candice was refrained from seeing but as a nine-year-old child she climbed up on a stool and got the book and saw the horrific pictures of the burnt body of her father. And from that, resentment grew as she got older and older. She tried to piece together who her father was 
through her mother and other relatives. And she became very fearful, had panic attacks and great anger towards this police officer. And then she came across the Truth and Reconciliation Commission on uh, the website. And Eugene de Cocteau told his story, which involved her father. And there was uh, then this... Um, peace and restorative justice movement where people were asked if they wanted to see the perpetrator to try and find some sense of peace and she went and met Eugene he looked no different to the pictures he was in jail uh, serving jail time for his crimes and she tells this story asking a, an incredibly profound question and it's a question that Jesus wants us to ask of ourselves, and it's often not talked about. And uh, Eugene said to Candice and her mother and others, will you forgive me? And before, before she answered that, or he, um, he, she said, I want to ask you a question. Have you forgiven yourself for what you've done? Well, that... that that was the question that Eugene never wanted anyone to ask. It was the question that tormented him. Could he forgive himself? And so tears rolled down his face. And Candice got out of her chair and walked across and said, can, can I embrace you? Can I hug you? And she said that, that moment filled her with light and joy and peace as she forgave him, this man that she'd never met, who killed her father, who tormented her. And so it was a cycle being repeated, and suddenly she felt liberated and has done ever since. Paul wrote in Colossians 1 verse 20, Through him, through Jesus Christ, he came to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Maybe you've concluded this morning that you'll never change. Perhaps you'll never forgive someone who's, who's done damage to your life. And we have this example in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, of four friends who bring a paralyzed man to Jesus. It's a story of a man whom Jesus radically changes. Change is possible. And Jesus says three things to the man that change him forever. And the first is, the first thing Jesus says to him is, take heart. The New Living Translation says, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Well, this man's paralyzed. He's left a, led a life that has been disrupted by that. And Jesus changes us. He encourages us. He cares about you and me. He cares about every area of our life. And that's why he says to you and me this morning, be encouraged. He knows what you're going through. He understands that change can be challenging. The second thing Jesus tells this man, and it's quite extraordinary because you think he might actually say, get up and be healed. He doesn't. 
And this is really important. This is really important for our mental health and well-being, for a society that is sick of heart. The second thing Jesus tells the man, your sins are forgiven. Most of the world is dying to hear the words, believe it or not, you are forgiven. We've all blown it, we've all messed up, we've all made mistakes and none of us are perfect and we all need forgiveness and Jesus forgives us instantly when we come to him and bow our hearts and bend the knee. Thirdly, Jesus concluded by telling the man, really because the scribes, these were the academic uh, religious of Judaism, who said, what right have you to forgive this man? And Jesus shows his authority before the crowds. And he says, stand up and pick up your mat and go home. And the paralyzed man had given up hope of being healed, of walking seemed an impossibility to him. And Jesus told him to do the one thing he had never done in his life. The one thing he never thought he could do. So think about the one thing you could never do. And guess what? Jesus might be calling you to do the one thing that is good and pleasing to him because he'll equip you to do what seems impossible when it comes to forgiving other people. So God encourages us. He forgives us. He'll ask you to do something that seems impossible. But here's the God good news. God will give you the power to do it. And the Bible tells us unmistakably that God can and will change even the most hopeless situation. Either change the outward circumstances, or if not the circumstances, he'll give you the inner resolve to live in that situation. Too many of us don't really understand what forgiveness is. We struggle with all kinds of misconceptions, what it means to forgive others. And the Bible clearly calls us to forgive others. Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. How many of you have been hurt by other people? How many of you have hurt other people? Psalm 54 verse 1 to 3 says, Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Strangers are attacking me. Ruthless men seek my life. Men without regard for God. I don't know how many churches um, where they rub up against, people in churches rub up against each other. i never forget the Christian late leader, Selwyn Hughes, describing Christians as hedgehogs, those pretty little things, you know, that have very prickly bits. And when your prickly bit hits my prickly bit, we get a bit uncomfortable, don't we? We bristle up against each other, and it, we get a bit prickly, And we brush up and inadvertently 
Unintentionally, sometimes, we upset one another. And that's why we need to practice the art of forgiveness. It is not a one-time practice. In fact, it is a daily practice of forgiving. It's the hardest when those who have hurt us do not say sorry. We still need to orientate our hearts into forgiveness. And sometimes our expectations of God himself are unbiblical. We think that God will protect us 100% and our families. Bad things can and do happen to Christians. If we think ourselves, we need to reset our thinking about this. If you think about Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband died at the hands of the Latin American tribe that they were reaching out to in the name of Christ. She had a two-year-old daughter, and she then befriended that tribe that later became Christians, and she had to forgive her husband, Jim Elliot's murderer. A profound move, the Holy Spirit affected that tribe. They became Christians. But she wrestled with the whole subject of forgiving herself. But we may not think correctly. We may face loss in life, deep loss. And dare I say, we need to tell God how we feel about that. We need in our prayers even to share our anger about it toward him. God knows us and understands us. He's been there. He's got the T-shirt. His son died on a cross for us. God's son was broken for you and me. God understands our pain. He has suffered that we might be forgiven and reconciled. And then there's this little nugget Eugene Dinoc struggled with. The hidden subject of forgiving oneself. There are times when failure and brokenness occur. And in my experience, this has been one of the hardest lessons to learn. To forgive oneself when life goes wrong is a profound thing. And actually, in a way, it's stepping away from God's atonement, thinking that we're not good enough, and looking at our own means of atonement. Sometimes it's our mental mindset of codependence that we've got to be righteous on our own. We need to wake up and discover the fresh air that God forgives us. And it's good enough for God, it's good enough for me and you. So I want to finish with four things about what healthy biblical forgiveness looks like when we're dealing with the pain brought on by others. A, recognize, believe it or not, no one is perfect. When we dislike somebody, we tend to lose our perspective about that person. Psychologists say, when you don't like something about that person, it's probably because they're like you. Watch out. <laughs> when we're filled with resentment and bitterness and hurt, we tend to dehumanize the offender. We treat that person like an animal. But we're all in the same boat. The Bible says not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. We're all imperfect. 
B, we need to relinquish our right to get even. This is the heart of forgiveness. The Bible says, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to God, for he has said that he will repay those who deserve it, in Romans 12, 19. But even though you want to retaliate, we must not commit to doing it. It's not fair. It's unhealthy. This isn't a one-time decision, but a daily one that we require moment by moment to give up. Instead of cursing, we need to bless those people. The C is respond to evil with good. This is how you know you fully release someone from the wrong that has been committed against you. Humanly speaking, it really is nearly impossible. With Candice Mama, forgiving her father's murderer is an act of God's spirit. You'll need to love Jesus to fill you up with love divine. God's love does not keep track of wrongs, we discover in 1 Corinthians 13. D, refocus on God's plan for your life. Don't focus on the hurt, focus on the future, the person God wants you to be. As long as you continue to focus on the person who's hurt you, you'll be distracted and you'll be taken up with anger, resentment. It'll be toxic in your life. It's a waste. Like Candice was experiencing this man, Eugene Dinoc, who who she'd never met, and it was eating her life up. She went to a doctor. She had stomach ulcers and other ailments. And he says, you've got to do something. That's why forgiveness is so important. My dear wife's family have a a lovely phrase when they were growing up amongst the household. And there were lots of discussions and arguments and opinions and Kate's father who's head of the table would say enough end finish in other words silence <laughs> sometimes we need to say to our minds and our hearts enough end finish we draw a line let's just be silent stop talking and breathe In Micah chapter 7 and verse 19, there's a beautiful phrase that um, Micah the prophet uses about sin. And it's um, where what God does with our sin. And I want to read that to you. Yeah, sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter here. Yeah, Micah 7, verse 19. Let me read it to you. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will treat our sins, tread our sins, sorry, underfoot, and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea, gone. Billy Graham said of this verse, there should then be a no fishing sign. 
because people keep fishing up what's been hurled. God's forgotten, and we need to forget too and claim that forgiveness. I want to close with this story. Um, It's a familiar story, perhaps, but it's pertinent to this point. It was a church in Munich where I was preaching in 1947. I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next I saw a blue uniform, an advisored cap with its skull and crossbones. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jewish people in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message for Aline. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there, but since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? could not have been many seconds he stood there hand held out but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had to do for I had to do it I knew the message that God's forgiveness has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us if you do not forgive men their trespasses Jesus says Neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. Please supply supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm and sprang into our joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, 
I cried with all my heart, I forgive you. Well, for a long for a long moment we grasp each other's hands. The former guard and former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. God forgives us. Let's pray. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit breathes forgiveness. Breathes forgiveness over our lives here today. Lord, sweep across this nation. Take away our discord, our anger, our frightenedness and fear. Lord, would you renew our nation? Would you use this nation once again as the bearer of the gospel of Jesus? That, Lord God, across the world there will be a sweeping movement of forgiveness in Jesus' name. Help us to practice that, to forgive others, to forgive ourselves, like Corrie ten Boom, that we can reach out the hand and forgive, like Candice Mama, to embrace the assailant. Lord, have mercy. You love mercy. Help us to be a people of mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>